Hello all and welcome to the Blue Diamond. This is Adre with something to say. Today's episode is going to be a bit lengthy. I think it'll probably hit you at just under an hour. So I just want to let you guys know that ahead of time. Uh, there are um, two segments. There's the actual bleeding edge episode and then a quick follow up to the edge. I also just want to say that this is an old episode I pulled out of the book. I recorded a long time ago, never posted. So you are going to hear me refer to Adre, my old name. Welcome to Blue Diamonds. This is Lady Dre with something to say. So recently, um, I watched this movie. I happened upon it. Um, it was called The Bleeding Edge on Netflix. It's a documentary. Um, very important. I think everybody should um, watch it. Um, because this could affect you or a family member or a loved one um, in some way. It's affected me in a lot of ways and um, really opened my eyes to some things. It made me realize just how blessed I am to be alive because all of these surgeries that I've had and all this titanium I have in my body, specifically in my brain and in my chest, were all done in emergency situations. It wasn't like I was sitting at home with symptoms and could go in and get treated, um, you know, in a different way. A very quick decision needed to be made to keep me alive. So, in watching this documentary, it was about um, the corruption going on when it comes to um, medical devices, implants, um, other kinds of devices, you know, that go inside your body. And it really got me thinking because, I, you know, I've had some devices put in my body. And in critical areas of my body, my heart, my brain. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Somebody is texting me. I'm sorry, I'm trying to turn down the volume. <laughs> oh my gosh, and it's two, almost two o'clock in the morning. Anyway, sorry about that little distraction. So all kind of medical devices. I happened upon it because I was going through a Facebook and an ad came up for a um, a lawsuit for this thing called, I don't remember the name of it, but I think it was called Eshore. I'm not quite sure. Um, but anyway, it was mesh that could be put in for your bladder like when your bladder became weak after having kids and things like that and um no i'm sorry it was sterilization i'm completely off because the mesh was another one it was sterilization where they put these two little um look like ink um, ink pen springs at the tip of both of your um fallopian tubes then that area would close up. It would seal itself. And it 
took like 45 minutes to get it done. Um, and then you could return to normal, go back to work or whatever the next day. So it looked like a great alternative to um, tubal ligation. So women trusted doctors and got it done. But none of the uh, material device had truly been tested. Because it's not even a requirement of the FDA for medical devices to be tested for approval the way medicine is. It's not stringent at all. And then there's built-in loopholes so that you don't ever have to do any human, human testing before you put it on the market. So you really don't know how it's going to affect people. But they're not telling you that when they're trying to sell you the product. You know, that's what concerns me about some doctors. If they sound more like a salesperson than a doctor, I don't want to deal with them. But in an emergency situation, you don't have that choice. You know? So, I now have to do my own research on what I have in my heart and what I have in my brain. I've done a little bit of research on the heart. Um, the brain has been difficult for me to read about. It it's, um, causes me anxiety. And I don't want to have a panic attack. So, um, I've watched an open heart surgery on YouTube, but I've never watched my brain procedure. Um, I'm not there yet. Even though that happened three years ago, an open heart surgery was eight, nine months ago. <laughs> Boy, I tell you. But anyway, so I'm watching this show called Diagnosis, and this is just after I've seen The Bleeding Edge. And there's one story about a little girl who might have Rasmussen's disease. I mean, Rasmussen's encephalitis, which I had never heard of. And um, the only way to fix it is to either remove or disconnect one entire hemisphere of the child's brain. And you got to do it quickly because the older the child is, the more they stand to lose. So if you get the surgery done between infancy and the age of three, then you stand really good chances of your child coming through this surgery and still having all of their faculties about them, being able to walk and talk, use their limbs. But after um, you get to be a certain age, that window closes and Sadie is seven years old, so she is now way past. Um, she has this surgery, it'll stop the seizures, but she will be blind in one eye and she will be paralyzed on one side of her body. She may walk, but never normal. Most likely those are gonna be her side effects. So the mother just has to do all of this research to figure out what uh, to do. You know, the parents, the mother and the father. You know, what do they do for their child? 
you know, when one mother said, um, you know, a worried mother um, does better research than the FBI. You know, and another mother said, it's your mother's, it's a mother's responsibility to um, exhaust every option, everything. And that's exactly what this mother is doing. She doesn't want to have to, um, her child to have this surgery. So she has to um, uh, try to find other options. And she does find other options. Um, and uh, she ended up going with um, a device implant in the brain. It's fairly new. Um, I was a little concerned because the doctor sound like a salesman just a straight salesman and he told them that his um, center had done more of these surgeries on children than any place in the world and when he ever said that that number was about 18 oh my god chills up my spine that's not any kind of number. You've done more than anywhere in the world and that number is still only 18? You've only used this device on a, a few children in the world. I was so afraid for her because that's what I heard. But I'm not her parent. And I'm sure what her parents heard was, here is an option to cutting off one half of her brain, either disconnecting or removing. That's what they hear. And it could work, but it's gonna take some time. First they said a few months, and then they said up to a year. It's so new. And now that I know that there's basically no testing required for some of these devices. Now, I don't know what this device would mimic, but when you want to put a new medical device on the market, basically the FDA has this loophole and it states that if you can prove that your device is very similar to something that's already on the market, then you don't need to test it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I think about not just the things that are implanted, you know, in me and now in this little girl, you know, but what are the true long-term effects? How much do you know? In her case, it's very different from mine because hers is very new to the market. Um, my brain surgery, I don't really know anything about it. And that's sad. That's sad. I'm not embarrassed by that. That's why I'm sharing it. It's just sad. I'm not making any excuses for it. I just, when it comes to the brain, I can't, I can't look. I, you know, I guess I'm supposed to want to look. 
at what was done to me. But psychologically, I'm not there. So, you know, I can talk about it intelligently. I know the basics. And the basics that I know, the average person doesn't know. But, you know, so you might think I know a lot about it, but I don't. I just know the basics. You know, the heart is a little different. You know, um, I did not do any research on the brain before my surgery. But the heart, the doctor came in and he suggested that I look on YouTube and view a heart surgery just to see how routine it is now. You know, they've been doing them for decades. And um, so I was like, oh, sure, no problem. <laughs> Everything he suggested it. And I felt fine. I wasn't nervous about it at all. I honestly wasn't. I wasn't scared. Nothing. So I go on the YouTube and I open up. I got, literally, I got three seconds in. Three seconds to turn it off. When I, when I hit the pause button, it was at three seconds. <laughs> so I tried again. And, uh. I got to two seconds. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> it's two seconds in. I had to turn it off. So he asked me if I watched anything, and I said no. Until so another doctor came in with some literature and said, you know, you can read about it. And I said, well, are there pictures? <laughs> and uh, he said, no, there's no pictures. I said, okay, I don't want to see any pictures. I just figured if I couldn't watch a video, I couldn't. Um, look at pictures um, but it was literature and I read it I read it to understand what was going to happen it was very different than the brain you know but still I had limited time to do research and the only research I could really do was look online I couldn't talk to a doctor for a second opinion I, this was an emergency situation you know my heart could no longer function on its own. It was going to stop if I didn't do this procedure. So I didn't have days to go and do research and get, you know, another uh, opinion. I had days to live, you know. The heart wasn't going to work anymore. But if you have the opportunity, you should really do the research, you know. Um... Sadie's parents were on that program. Um, they were featured um, in a New York Times article. And, um, you know, that gave them so many options because when it's posted, people from all over the world respond. And that's what the show is about, just broadening the net. Because these are people who have diseases that nobody understands how to diagnose so you just gotta open it up to, to more brains more opinions you know so it's interesting um, but it also got me thinking about myself in two different ways one I have nothing to complain about I've been through a lot but there are people who are going through worse and this show is proof 
I've told friends who've gone through things and then say something to me and then they're like oh you know I'm sorry I'm complaining about my hurt toe and you and, and I say listen it's all relative this is not a competition believe me <laughs> I I don't want to compete in this race you know um, it's all relative you know uh, but I really shouldn't complain I'm truly blessed and highly favored I know that without a doubt <laughs> I know it um, but it also got me thinking in my uh, thinking about myself in another way and that is about everything that's been happening to me is it possible that my body is trying to tell me something my body is sick in some kind of way and the way in which it tells me that it's sick mimics other things so I had to have two myomectomies things didn't get any better I had a hysterectomy and an oophorectomy things didn't get any better I had another oophorectomy and an appendectomy things got better in that area but my body as a whole still wasn't well after the first myomectomy when they're trying to fix um, you know the uh, all my lady parts that part of my body My brain gets sick. My brain gets sick. And I have a brain aneurysm. Right? Then, after the brain aneurysm, I have more gynecological issues. While I'm dealing with the gynecological issues and having all of these surgeries, because they're still trying to fix that area my heart gets sick then I have a heart attack now though they've worked on everything gynecologically I have no pain no discomfort in that area but my menopause symptoms are severe menopause is hell I'm 48 years old and I've been in menopause for 13 years. In the beginning it was tough. It was really tough. Because my friends weren't going through menopause. They couldn't relate to what I was going through. And that conversation wasn't on their radar. I don't know what it's like to be, you know, 30 years old, never had any kids, and 30 years old, have kids, and 
not even thinking about any kind of uh, menopause. I don't know what that life is like. Because that wasn't my life. But they finally got that area fixed. I must go through menopause. Can't talk to my friends. They don't know what's going on. Can't talk to older people because they all old women say the same thing. Oh, girl, you too young for that. What they're saying is, is in my head. I only think I'm going through menopause, but I'm really not because I'm so young. So, where do I go? Who do I talk to? So the beginning was tough. It's tough. But that's how Michelle and I bonded, and that's another story I can tell you about if I already haven't. Um, so now my heart just isn't doing well I have a heart attack then I have another heart attack trying to fix the heart area now and what should happen the brain gets sick again the brain gets sick again in the brain this is tough you guys the brain causes a TIA because of the uh, brain aneurysm that I have it's massive it's so massive that the doctor said he had never seen one that large, and he had done 1,200 surgeries. 1,200 is still a low number, but it's better than 18, y'all. But again, he tells me that when I'm laying on the table in the OR, and moments later, I'm knocked out because they've already pushed the anesthesia through. Those are the last words that I heard. That he had never seen a brain aneurysm that large. They usually rupture before they get that big. So he said he's going to go in there and do the best that he can do. And if he finds himself in a, a precarious situation, he'll take the safest route for me. I guess I should be grateful that he said he'd take the seems about for me but I really wasn't reassuring it <laughs> it wasn't to be honest with you so but yeah you know I'm feeling like my heart is okay I'm going to the cardiologist and gotten a good report I've had two heart attacks but I'm getting a good report that area is doing okay um, gynecologically I'm not in pain physical pain anymore so let's get this brain fixed. Fixed brain. And what should happen? The heart gets sick again. I can't get sick gynecologically because they removed everything. Right? So there's nothing there to cause symptoms. But whatever I have, the symptoms show up in my heart and in my brain.
I know that eventually we all go, and I won't go before God calls me. I know that. He is keeping me here for a reason with whatever it is I have that's breaking my body down. You know, the problem is these two areas, they can get so broken down that they don't want to function anymore. And you can't replace them. <laughs> and you can't live without them. You need both of them. A heart can be replaced, but you can't do a brain transplant. So, I just remain prayerful. That's what I lean on. At the same time, it would be great to have the same exposure that these people on this show had. Maybe there's somebody out there that says you guys keep going to the individual areas. You're not looking at the body as a whole. What could she have that, that continuously causes her body to break down? And this last time that her heart broke down, they had a hard time getting it back. That bad boy's tired. He had a hard time getting it back. They went in there to help it work because they knew it couldn't work on its own. They told her, your heart can no longer function on its own. They must go in there and do something to it. And they did what they had to do. <laughs> but the heart was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> We're tired. So they had to work at it. And when they did, and they were successful, because I'm talking to you now, but I couldn't breathe on my own. And that was going to take some time. More time than usual. Usually you wake up a couple hours after your surgery in recovery, and you surely aren't intubated. That standard procedure. I've told you about all the surgeries I've had, so I know. But when I woke up and after heart surgery, I was in a private room in the, um, they call it SICU. The S was for surgical, surgical ICU. I was in a room and a nurse was standing directly over me, like staring in my face as though he knew I was going to wake up at that moment. That means a lot. When you wake up out of something like that, and there's somebody literally staring you in your face, thank you. I appreciate it. I know it was his job, but I appreciate it. That's an important job he has, y'all. I couldn't talk, though. And I was in excruciating pain. And I needed pain medication. He's good at his job because I couldn't talk at all because I was connected to a ventilator. I didn't know why at the time. Didn't really. I didn't know what was going on. I was just in pain. I was trying to indicate to him 
that I was in pain. He did tell me that I had a tube in my mouth. Um, and I don't remember if he told me right away why, or it was a few minutes later, but within this same conversation. But I do remember I was trying to indicate to him that I was in pain and I wanted some medication. But I couldn't talk. And he was so good at reading my face. And he said, are you in pain? And I could barely nod my head. I couldn't, well, I couldn't nod my head um, at all. And I couldn't talk. <laughs> I had to, like, use my eyebrows. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that right now, you guys. It's so silly. <laughs> what I just did. I had to use my eyebrows. And he, he's good at his job. And I imagine that other people who wake up connected to a ventilator might respond in the same way. They can't talk. Can't move. Can't move at all. They had just cut my chest open. My shoulder, my shoulders hurt. My collarbone um, hurt. My sternum, you know. But what I really felt was the pain in my throat from the tube. That overshadowed everything. And I needed that pain medication. But at the same time, I'm allergic to morphine, Percocet, Dilaudid, Reglan, and Compassine. I'm allergic to all those things. Those are, some of those are standards that are used after major surgery. I can't have any of them. Back in the day, they used to put me on a Demerol pump. But they don't really use Demerol anymore. You don't even hear people talk about Demerol. I'm going to do a sidetrack for just a moment. I had one surgery where I needed Demerol pump. They were supposed to order it. So that when I came out of surgery, that's what I'd have. Because that was the standard for me. And they were still using it back then. Well, someone didn't communicate properly. So while they asked for it, they were never told that that hospital did not stock. Demerol, and it would have to be ordered from another hospital. So I had the surgery, and when I woke up, they had no pain medication for me. None. It hadn't even been ordered yet. I was begging because I was in excruciating pain, and they weren't giving me any pain medication at all. And they just split my body open. So, um, <laughs> finally they figured out what went wrong and told me that they had to order it from another hospital. And I was at this ritzy brand new hospital. Each room looked just like a hotel room. It was not, it didn't look hospitally at all. It was very comfy and cozy in the, um, it had all oak cabinets. And in one of the closets, there was this nice, fluffy, warm robe and a set of binoculars and a, uh, a, a bird book. I don't know what it was called, but some kind of bird, bird search book or whatever. Because your view out of your window was a natural preserve. Everybody in the whole hospital 
had a single room. Now, all those features I did not know about. The only feature I knew, and which is why I chose that hospital, was that um, I would be um, in the private room. And that was important to me. I wanted a private room. So I said, I'm, if all the rooms are private, <laughs> I'm guaranteed one. So I went there. They almost killed me at that hospital. <laughs> it was all about being pretty. And again, I didn't know all those features were there. I mean, when you walked in on the first floor, they had a million dollar atrium in that piece. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm making that number up. I have no idea how much the atrium costs, but it looked very, very expensive. <laughs> you know, it was all for show. That terrible medical care. Anyway, I sidetracked big time. Let me get back to what I was talking about. I guess I'm basically done with that. I just want somebody to look at my body as a whole. The entire thing. Because now, and I forgot about this one. The first year I got sick, I had my first, well, the, the first year I started getting fixed by the doctors, not the first year I had symptoms. It took me a year going to the doctors to get any kind of diagnosis, and they thought they diagnosed it. And I thought they did too. Went and had a surgery on my gynecological area, and I was shocked to find out that it was anything gynecological because most of my pain was um, in my right kidney. You know, so anyway. Um, <laughs> it really took a year to diagnose. I go have the surgery, but that same year I had a brain aneurysm. And that same year I had H. pylori, or what we thought was H. pylori because my GI tract started to act up. Well then, <laughs> I have a second heart attack and then what happens? Gastroparesis. Right? Gastroparesis, there's no cure for that. It won't kill you, but it's a bitch to live through. I don't talk about it much. It takes a it takes a back seat. And I think the only reason why it takes a back seat is because it's not gonna kill me. You know, another heart attack could, another brain aneurysm could, but gastroparesis is not gonna kill me. But it's chronic. And I don't know if that's what's you know, going on right now because I have such nausea, such GI issues now. My body's shutting down another part. Every time they work on one part, another part gets sick. After I had one of my other heart attacks, I had terrible GI issues. And that's when the um, 
you know, they, they thought I had H. pylori, or they diagnosed with H. pylori. They gave me some antibiotics. I eventually felt better. But then, uh, that was after my first surgery. But after one of those heart attacks, now it's not just something you can take an antibiotic and be done with. It's, it's a chronic disease that there's no cure for. I have it. And, oh my God. You know. But maybe I don't have gastroparesis. Maybe I have a different disease that attacks the entire body and mimics other diseases in those specific parts of the body. I know I could probably sound like a crazy person to some of you, but listen, who has a hysterectomy, two myomectomies, two oophorectomies, an appendectomy, had endometriosis, had a grapefruit-sized tumor attached to her right ovary that grew there in a matter of weeks because the doctor just had her open for a hysterectomy and it wasn't there it's like you know this part of the body is sick you just took part of it out and you left part that area is still sick because maybe what was happening to me wasn't what you diagnosed you know who has that happen and then <laughs> You want to go around having, uh, take a round of having brain aneurysms? Now the brain's not working? On more than one occasion. Right? What caused these brain aneurysms? Something awesome. I've been told the genetic. What caused the brain aneurysm? Although I don't, I don't know a lot about the brain. <laughs> and the heart. Three heart attacks? A triple bypass? And all of this before your 48th birthday. <laughs> all of it. Something's wrong with the body. But at the same time, I'm not complaining, I'm just explaining. Because I know that I am blessed and highly favored. You can only live in this body, survive in this body, if you're blessed. God is real. I can't do anything to fix it. The doctors can't do anything to fix it. There are things that I can do to improve it. But not fix it. It's only fixable by God. So I know I'm blessed. But I'm curious. <laughs> 
You know, I'm curious. I'd like to know what's wrong with me. <laughs> and then I was recently told that I needed a, a rhinoplasty. <laughs> I mean, what? I was told that I need a rhinoplasty and that the bridge of my nose would need to be raised. And I said, I don't want to lose my African-American features. This has just been in the last few weeks. And I don't want to change the shape of my nose. So, oh my goodness. I'm nervous about it. <laughs> I really am. I'm trying to convince myself that this is what I want. Because everyone I've spoken to has said it's what I should do. You know, directly related to my cardiac care. Right? So... I go back to the doctor for a um, second consultation and to give him my decision and to schedule surgery if that's my choice. So I told him that I'd spoken to, you know, some other doctors and, um, you know, they all agreed that it was the best thing I should do, you know, um, so, all right, you know, when, you know we're going to do this. And we start talking. But he's not talking anything about shape. So I ask him, you know, am I going to look different? And he said, no. And I said, so you're not going to change the shape of my nose? And he said, no. And I said, oh. And I guess the way I said it, he couldn't read it. So he was like, but I thought you didn't want the shape of your nose changed. I said, oh, I don't. I'm very relieved at what you just said. That was a, oh, is a great revelation for me. <laughs> I said, I don't want my nose changed at all. That was my biggest fear. And, and I told him, I said, that was why I was so reluctant the first time he told me. You know, because he was able to ascertain that in the first uh, meeting when he told me he wanted to do a rhinoplasty. And I was like, what? You crazy? <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I know there are people who would love to get a free nose job, but I'm not one of them. I like my nose. I love my face. I don't want to see any other face when I look in the mirror. You know, whatever changes are going to happen naturally, they're going to happen naturally as I age. You know? So when I went back in, he said he could do a septoplasty and not a rhinoplasty. And I was so thrilled. I was so thrilled. You know, my breathing is going to be better because I cannot breathe out of my left nostril at all. And I am 90% precluded out of my right nostril. So to your 100% of being able to breathe out of your right nostril, I can on a 10% scale. 10% out of 100. So this septoplasty is supposed to open up the airway some, somewhat. He can't open it up completely because I have a secondary problem. It's not just a severely deviated septum. 
you know, I have other problems going on in my nose right now that cannot be fixed. So, the body is just, my body is sick and nobody is looking at it as a whole. And not only that, but I now have some sort of tear in my shoulder, my left shoulder. It hurts most of the time. It hurts every single day. Every single day. And the other day I heard it really, really bad. I just took my, put the deodorant in my left hand and went to put the deodorant on my right side. And oh, moving that shoulder towards the right felt like something was ripping on the inside. Oh, it just hurt. And it hurt for a couple of minutes. Oof. So, I'm going to get um, it looked at by an orthopedic doctor, by an orthopedist, um, in a couple of weeks. So, because I went to physical therapy, and she was like, oh, your range of motion is horrible. She said, she thinks I have a specific kind of tear. She told me what kind, but I can't remember. So... Um, she stopped the therapy and said she didn't want to do any more until I was looked at, you know. So, <laughs> somebody needs to look at me as a whole and figure out what's going on. Alrighty, that's it. Hey, you guys, I just wanted to offer a follow-up to the episode you just listened to on a couple of things. The first thing is I spoke to my doctor about looking at my body as a whole and trying to figure out if there is an overarching problem that is causing multiple systems to shut down and... um, she basically came back and told me it was because of my childhood. I mean, that's a very abridged version, um, but I did go um, into detail about that on the episode about them experimenting on me. So if you haven't listened to that episode, give it a, a listen, um, because I talk about how the doctor came back and explained that uh I had adverse childhood experiences, which has caused major systems in my body to malfunction, and that's why I'm having all these heart attacks or whatever. But again, the episode goes into more detail. The other thing has to do with um, my septoplasty. So yes, the septoplasty is still on the books. I still need it done. Actually, I had forgotten all about it. With all that's going on with uh, the pandemic, I completely forgot about that. The doctor had originally scheduled it for the first week of April, and it was my plan to call the doctor back and get it pushed to October because I had such a busy year planned. And before I could do that, of course, the procedure itself was um, canceled because of the pandemic. So I suspect that that will take place probably sometime in 2021. Um, 
normally you can just go into your ear, nose, and throat doctor office and have the procedure done right there in the office. But because of my medical history, I need the procedure done under general anesthesia in a hospital. And right now, hospitals seem to be um, death traps. So that is on the back burner. And the other follow-up is about my shoulder. I finally had an x-ray done. I do have a slight labrum tear. So they scheduled injections and physical therapy. But of course, we're in a pandemic. So my first injection will be in um, mid-June. And um, who knows when physical therapy will start. But my shoulder does feel somewhat better, so I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, and so that's it. I just wanted to follow up on those few things. Alrighty, this is Adre signing off.